This is Good Together, the podcast that inspires you to create positive change in the world every day by being a conscious consumer. I'm your host, Laura Alexander Wittig, founder of Brightly.eco, and I started this podcast a few years ago because I wanted a place to talk about the gray areas around sustainability and how being a conscious consumer can be challenging and confusing but it's totally doable. So join me in the name of reducing waste and living positively in the name of the planet. together listeners. I am here with Alden Wicker, who is the most amazing guest we've had on here. So we just invited her back again now. <laughs> oh, that's so nice of you. <laughs> <laughs> well, we love Alden because I mean, first of all, she's got the facts to back up the stories. I mean, she's an award-winning journalist. Um, she's a new author and of course the editor-in-chief of EcoCult. And listen, she does her homework. And when we think about some of the questions that come up in the context of sustainable fashion, eco-friendly products, et cetera, like Alden knows what's up. Um, and so today we, we thought like, let's have her back a few times. Let's talk about some of these different, um, you know, problems in the industry, et cetera. And today we wanted to talk about endocrine disruptors because I feel like that is a very buzzy term that I hear thrown around a lot, but I'm not hundred percent sure like, you know, how prevalent the problem is, etc. So Alden, welcome. Like, let's, let's talk about endocrine disruptors. <laughs> let's talk about endocrine disruptors. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I feel like, you know, so I'm sure this is, you know, this topic is something that's come up in the course of a lot of your research. But I would imagine that, you know, there's, you've seen a lot of problems, and I'd imagine some are worse than others. And how would you rank the problem before we get into like what it actually is, like how prevalent would you say endocrine disruptors are? And like, is that if, if they are very prevalent, is that kind of what led you into wanting to investigate more? So I guess we should define what an endocrine disruptor is so we can talk about the prevalence of them. An endocrine disruptor is, uh, so the endocrine system regulates a whole bunch of systems in your body and it functions on hormones. So the most obvious place that you think of is your reproductive system, right? Uh, And all your, you know, like your period and your ability to have children and get pregnant um, and and carry uh, a pregnancy to term. But then there's also a bunch of other things. Anybody with a thyroid disease can list off all the ways having uh, problems with your endocrine system and your thyroid can affect your life. It affects your energy levels. It affects your hair. Um, people who uh, are having problems with this can lose, start losing their hair. Mm-hmm. Um, it can affect your brain function. Um, it can lead to brain fog. Um, it can affect your metabolism, your weight. Uh, it, it affects so many different things that affect your quality of life. Um, aside from sort of some of the more devastating consequences, which is, you know, not being able to get pregnant, um, which can be really devastating for some people. Yeah. And um, this is especially a problem uh, with kids because 
your hormones, as you know, are what are helping you uh, grow and develop into, uh, you know, a highly functional human being. And yeah. so uh, when those aren't, aren't uh, at the functioning properly in children, um, it can lead to, uh, or, or fetuses, it can lead to um, birth defects, especially around the genitals. Um, it can lead to uh, just lifelong effects. Um, even if they're just exposed to endocrine disruptors while they're in the womb. Um, there's even evidence that women who are exposed to endocrine disruptors, um, that can affect their future children that they're not even pregnant with yet. Wow. So, um, yeah. And so that's, that's what an endocrine disruptor is. Um, and, uh, I mean, I could keep going, but, uh, I've just dumped a lot on you already. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think the... You know, as I, you know, I mean, I'm not going to say I'm like getting older, but I mean, as I spend longer, you know, a, a, a more time on this earth, I'm realizing that hormones really do control so much of the body. And so when you are talking about something that's coming in and disrupting, you know, the way that they, you know, are existing in your body, it makes sense to me that there could be so many different downstream impacts. Um, and Absolutely. I, that to me is what I think has been interesting because I, I think when I first heard, and we'll talk about like specific, um, endocrine disruptors, I mean, most people probably would have heard of BPA and we'll talk about what that is in a second. But I remember specifically when I heard about BPA, uh, these, um, I want to say like the, the downstream impacts that were really highlighted by the media were, um, disruptions to, fertility and things of that nature. And so when you, obviously that's a very awful thing and, you know, irreversible and just, just a really, really huge deal for society. You can imagine how people who maybe aren't female or who maybe have passed that part of their life may or may not think it was a big deal in terms of how it would affect them. But when we talk about other uh, potential side effects of, of, you know, this disruption of this process that naturally occurs in your body, I feel like it's safe to say these aren't good for anybody, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. You you do not want to have high amounts of endocrine disruptors in your system, even small amounts. Uh, yeah. So when we talk about endocrine disruptors, um, they are different than some of the other hazardous chemicals that we're concerned about. So uh, let's compare them to formaldehyde. Formaldehyde is actually a naturally occurring chemical and um, it is present naturally present in tiny, tiny amounts in the human body. When you bite into an apple, um, it's when it gets above a certain amount that it starts to become irritating and also can, has been linked to um, uh, different types of cancers. Mm. So that's, that's a chemical where the dose makes the poison. Yeah. There's a dose below which you'll see no effects. There's, do there's a dose above which you'll see some effects. And there are doses above which, like if you are just assaulted with too much, you might end up dying. So that's, yeah. that's like the dose makes the poison. With endocrine disruptors, researchers are starting to, like for the past decade, researchers have coalesced around this uh, conclusion that there is no safe level of exposure to endocrine disruptors because it can take 
a tiny, tiny amount for them to start interfering in this exquisitely fine-tuned dance of hormone signaling in your body. And they can cause a cascade of effects at, at tiny, tiny levels. So they're... Yeah, they're chaotic. They're bad chaotic. If you're talking yeah. about <laughs> what is what is the phrase? It's like neutral chaotic. Yeah, it's, that's it's chaotic. exactly. Yeah, that's what I was thinking about. Chaotic neutral or whatever. Yeah, like, so they're uh, bad. They're chaotic bad. Uh, yeah. They're just like it's really hard to to predict what's going to happen if you have a certain if you're exposed to a certain amount of them. Yeah, and um, the other kind of scary thing about them is you can't see them most of the time you can't smell them and also um the their effects are they're not visible right away so if you are allergic to something you might get hives you might get a rash and you'll say oh i'm allergic to something in this i need to figure out what that is but the, the way this manifests is uh when you talk to women who have trouble with uh, their endocrine system or their thyroid um, or the reproductive system, it'll just be sort of this slow coming up of poor health yeah. issues. And they might at some point, years and years down the road, get a proper diagnosis, um, maybe not. And um, then sort of the standard of care right now is like maybe putting uh, you on medication, um, or maybe just being like, oh, well, like, you know, this sucks, but like doctors don't go to the like, Hey, so let's talk about how you can reduce your exposure because, because there is good news about some of these endocrine disruptors, endocrine disruptors like BPA and phthalates, they break down, they go away. You, you will like, if you are exposed to a bunch and then you stop getting exposed, you'll pee them out and they will be gone. Yeah. Uh, some of them, not all of the endocrine disruptors. So we can talk about the differences between them. Yeah, that makes sense. And I think most people would probably be the most familiar with BPA, which is what I was talking about earlier. So BPA stands for bis- bisphenol A. Is that how you say that? Um, bisphenol A, yeah. Uh, yep. But there's also cousins. Okay. Uh, bisphenol S bisphenol F. And um, a lot of times when brands uh, have said, okay, this is BPA free, they've just swapped in one of the close cousins. Okay, interesting. So so that's good to know. And I think most people, if you are familiar with BPA, you've probably seen it in re- relation to plastics, and probably seen it in relation to plastics that come into contact with food. Um, and so if you're a mom, and you were trying to find some some bottles for your baby, you're trying to find glass bottles. Good luck. I tried. It's so hard to find really good glass bottles. But if you can't, you know, so if you're if you're trying to find a plastic bottle that is, you know, less harmful. Maybe um, silicone. Course, yeah, or... silicone can be good for that. Um, but you know, silicone's hard because it's not clear. So oftentimes it's not great for seeing how much formula is left. Regardless, though, you'll see it oftentimes in that in that space. Like BPA-free, anything that's coming into contact with food, et cetera. But what I thought was really interesting with when we when we started doing you know, research and, and notes for this episode, all in and especially like in the course of your work, BPAs are really starting to show up and have been showing up for a long time in clothing. 
which is not something that I had previously thought about. So tell us a little bit about that and sort of like maybe what what the biggest offenders are in terms of like types of clothing. Well, it's interesting that you said when you think of BPA, you think about plastics because I don't think a lot of people understand that polyester is plastic. Yeah. And it's the, that's why you see these like made out of the equivalent of 15 recycled water bottles. That's, that's because polyester is the same type of plastic as, uh, as clear water bottles, PET bottles. The Center for Environmental Health in California, um, they have been testing uh, athletic wear from a lot of big companies, like all the big companies, really. Um, And they've been finding in sports bras, leggings, athletic shirts, other active wear, socks, high levels of BPA. And the reason why this is so concerning is that, no, you're not eating your athletic wear the way you're maybe uh, drinking something out of a BPA plastic thing, but you are sweating in it. And that sweat can draw out whatever is in that piece of clothing um, onto your skin, especially if it's a skin tight sports bra or a skin tight pair of leggings. Mm. So that's really concerning. They found it. um, They didn't find it in majority cotton with spandex clothing. Um, They found it in polyester spandex clothing. And some of the brands they found it in were Athleta, Pink, the North Face, Nike, Patagonia, which is surprising. Um, so it seems to be less about the brands and whether they care about safe chemistry and more about the material itself. Interesting. So it almost, you're right. So, and you know, listening to some of those brands who have, you know, obviously Patagonia, but there are some of those brands you mentioned that have been trying to, you know, do better or, you know, become a little mm-hmm. bit more environmentally friendly. What you're saying is, is even even those brands are, you know, using fabric that seems like it could be okay, but it's actually not, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. And you know, this this is they tested adult clothing, but there is no reason to believe it's any different for for children's clothing. Yeah, and so you know, there's a lot of I feel like I've seen so many different brands, especially in athletic clothing, et cetera, but using you know polyester like or polyester fabric that's made from recycled water bottles. Like that's a thing. And so it sounds like it's there's possible to make it safe, but it's probably not. And like, what, I mean, what's all that about? So I first started looking into this a few years ago when there was this thing zinging around social media about how uh, polyester made from recycled water bottles is more toxic and has more endocrine disruptors or has endocrine disruptors, period, versus virgin polyester fabric. And so women should be careful about that. And um, it it just doesn't matter whether it's recycled or not when it comes to BPA. It just matters that it's polyester. Now, I will say that um, it, it could mean that there are other contaminants in there, but um, I'm not entirely sure about that. So I can't say for sure. So I, nobody needs to be worried about their recycled polyester clothing. They just need to think about natural versus synthetic. Okay. That makes sense. And so you're right. It's, it's, it's less about the source. It's more about just the material itself and and thinking Mm -hmm. through that. And so 
you know, I would imagine a lot of these performance-based fabrics sort of like, there is a time and a place for synthetics, right? Especially in athletic clothing and stuff too. So, you know, I would imagine what we would want these companies to do, especially as we're talking about this one, but we'll talk about other um, endocrine disruptors is we need them to be doing testing, right? Is that, is that really the answer? You know, that that's the thing is like a lot of these companies that were dinged in this testing, they are doing testing. Mm. Now the testing is private, right? Yeah. It's not done by the government. And uh, so we're not seeing the results of that testing. So um, I don't think asking companies to do testing is, is the solution. It's more about, we need, for example, like we need the consumer product safety commission to, to be funded so they can do testing. So yeah. they can ensure that our clothing is free of these chemicals. But we also need legislation saying you can't have these chemicals in there. And I want to make this distinction for your listeners because the reason why we know about this, the reason why the Center for Environmental Health even did this testing was that they're in California. California has Prop 65. Prop 65 does not ban all of these chemicals from products. It just requires companies to label their products as having some of these things. And if they don't, then they can get sued. They can get put on notice and sued. So, so okay. this nonprofit with the help of their law firm that they work with is saying, look, you can have BPA in there. It's just, you didn't label it. And these fashion brands do not want to label it. So California is like single-handedly <laughs> keeping the rest of the United States safe from some of these some of these things in these, in this athletic wear. And I, I also want to talk, speak to your other question, which is, you know, can, can we actually live our lives healthfully and, you know, go camping or work out without polyester? Yeah. Um, probably not. I will speak from my own experience that I do try to use to stay away from synthetic fibers as much as possible. I have, yeah merino wool sports bras and underwear and socks and base layers. I wear a lot of cotton. Um, I wear, yeah, I I'll, I'll wear, if there is an alternative, I will wear it. Yeah. I have not found a good alternative to polyester or synthetic nylon, whatever raincoats, uh, yes. or hiking. Yeah. Or, um, I, you know, I haven't, there's no, synthetic free um hiking shoes or running shoes completely synthetic free that well there's like yeah like not not performance there's like some fashion shoes yeah um, that are very experimental but in essence like if you're a really athletic outdoorsy person you can get most of the synthetics out of the things that are going to touch your skin if you're willing to spend a little bit more yeah um and if you're going to be more comfortable probably um, but, but getting it completely out of your closet is going to be really difficult. Oh, absolutely. And it's funny because I, so I am like, I think like just a hypersensory person and I hate anything that has a ton of polyester and it touching my skin anyway. I just, it's like a sensory issue. I don't like the way it feels. And so I've always been somebody who would prioritize like, you know, cotton or 
you know, bamboo or other types of, um, you know, natural fibers or at least semi-natural. Uh, my husband is not like that. He loves those like hiking pants that like swish around and they're just like, oh, I can't with that. Right. <laughs> yeah. So like for me, I've always been, you know, just tangentially on, on the um, outskirts looking for this. But I would say polyester in particular is so prevalent. Like you can have a pair of leggings that feel, remember LuLaRoe? <laughs> we have, we have oh talked about God. LuLaRoe all day the butter long. stuff. Oh my LuLaRoe God. LuLaRoe leggings. Yes. Oh my God. Yes. But those, you know, those are a thing. And we listeners, all that and I need to do an episode about LuLaRoe. I don't know how we're going to relate it back to sustainable fashion, other than the fact that it's totally unsustainable, but those leggings, those quote unquote butter soft leggings, um, were made of microfiber, which has polyester in it. So like, you know, you could, I could tell you all day long that I don't like, you know, fabric touching my skin that feels like crunchy or something like that, but it's in those leggings too. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, you know, that I think the thing that people don't think about, um, is the sort of really soft, yummy blankets that you yes. can get. Sherpa oh kind God. of stuff. Yep. Yeah. Yep those blankets just for around the house, they're polyester. They're super fluffy. All those microfibers are breaking off into your house dust. You are breathing them in. You're ingesting them. Your kids are ingesting them. I just, mm-mm. no, ma'am. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, it makes total sense. And actually, um, you know, there's a lot of companies out there that make, um, you know, I'm, I'm also in the pajama business. There's companies that make uh, bamboo blankets. Um, and if they're quilted, they're filled with polyester. Um, and so when I went to go make my own, I actually sourced soybean fill, um, which took a while and it took me forever. But I was like, I'm not going to have something that says it's made of modal, tinsel modal, and then is full of polyester. But anyway, right. we digress, folks. Like it, yeah. it, it, it shows up in a lot of different places. And actually, I think speaking of that, what are, I mean, we, we've really gone very deep into BPAs, but what are some other types of endocrine receptors and where are they um, coming like phthalates? Like let's talk a little bit more about those too. Yeah. So phthalates, actually we talked about these the last time we talked because of PVC, but phthalates are uh, similar to BPA. They're plasticizers, they're endocrine disruptors. Um, There's actually something called phthalate syndrome, which is when, yeah, which is when um, baby boys born to mothers who were exposed to phthalates uh, have some genital abnormalities. It's got hmm. a name. Okay. Um, so we don't like those and those show up in, uh, vinyl PVC products. Uh, so that might, you'll see that in, um, like cheap, clear plastic backpacks, jelly shoes, which is what we talked about last time. Yep. Those are no good. Another, uh, really potent endocrine disruptor is PFAS. They're a class of what are called forever chemicals because they never break down. So they do build up in your body. They build up in the environment. They're everywhere. They're in, well, last I checked, one type was in 97% of Americans' blood. PFAS has been found in half of Americans' drinking water. Hmm. They are used for water and stain repellency. And so when they're in American water, sometimes it's from like firefighting foam at airports and military bases. But a lot of times it's because there was a textile finishing plant, uh, like in South Carolina or in um, Massachusetts that was just discharging this wastewater with PFAS in it into the water. 
So what does that mean? Well, it means it's on your performance gear. It's on your stain proofed furniture, um, any, anything like that. And it's very, very toxic. It's not only an endocrine disruptor. It's also been linked to several types of cancer. Um, but the endocrine effects are, are really interesting because it's all the things I talked about before. It's been linked to obesity. It's been linked to, um, reproductive toxicity. So affecting your reproductive system. And what's so interesting about PFAS is, so this is, this is just a theory. Okay. I'm going into theory now and uh, I just want to put a little signpost, but, um, there's been, as you know, there's been a lot of debate around even using the word obesity, right? And what, how do you define it? What is it? Um, and also, you know, there's, been this attempt to shift this conversation from obesity causes all these things, obesity is linked to this, this, and this, to um, like, do we really know that? And there's a theory that like part of the so-called obesity epidemic is because of something that's in the water. And what's in the water? There's an idea that like obesity, it's it's correlated, but not a cause of all of these different things, right? Like if you're poisoned with PFAS, you are that's been linked to cancer right and so it's sort of like it's like a co it's something that's like weight gain is happening alongside all of these other health effects yeah and so because it's an endocrine disruptor and again it never goes away it is hanging out in your house it is hanging out in your water it is hanging out in your body so i tell you know i had um so i have a, a good friend and she was saying you know i'm kind of freaking out she was looking for some way some way to feel control because her period is all off, uh, after being really regular for her whole life. And she's like, what is happening? And, um, I was like, okay, look, there's some things that are within your control. And I went through the things that most people know about getting plastic out of your kitchen and, um, you know, doing things like that, or like looking through your beauty products and making sure there aren't you know, phthalates and, and other endocrine disruptors in your beauty and personal care products. And then I said, Hey, I know you're a big snowboarder. Make sure that your snowboarding gear and your hiking gear and all your outdoor gear and your boots and everything are zipped into a plastic bag so that they are not shedding their waterproof PFAS based durable water repellent finish all over your home. Well, I mean, and you're right. They all, they, all of these things are all over your home. And so look, let's all take a deep breath together. Like there, when you hear this type of stuff, myself included, you can feel very helpless, but like you said, Alden, there are certain things that you can do to prevent. Well, I don't even want to say prevent to stop further exposure to these things because we've all been exposed. And I think you talked a lot about just in general, avoiding some of these problematic materials, looking for better options. Um, you know, as always, like, you know, trying to make sure, you know, the source of what's coming in and out of your house and your body, I think is very important. Um, and then, you know, you mentioned really briefly at the beginning of this episode, how the state of California, um, with their legislation has been, really pioneer, um, has been a pioneer in pushing for change here. And that to me is a really important thing to note because I I lived in California for many years. 
sometimes I felt like they went a little crazy with all of the legislations. Like if you ever tried to, <laughs> if you ever tried to buy a, uh, a, something that contained a light bulb and you're in California, oftentimes it wouldn't work because there was some kind of strange legislation around light bulbs. So yes, they do a lot, but you know, they also are very, very much in tune with the environment around them. And so the fact that they were early sort of whistleblowers and saying, look, we're not going to expose our citizens to this. It's just been really, really um, important and, and a great thing that they've done. So what we need to do now as folks that don't live in California, um, or even if you do, this, it's, it's worth it. Like we need to think more about this from a federal perspective. And Alden, you mentioned, you know, there is a an agency that is supposed to be maybe a little bit more um, in tune to what's going on. They just don't have funding. Is that what you were talking about earlier? Yes, absolutely. So the Consumer Product Safety Commission, the CPSC. Uh, yeah. They are so underfunded that there was a letter sent to Congress and it was signed by like the, it was signed by environmental groups and breast cancer groups and the chemical trade group. Like everybody, everybody agrees that they don't have enough funding. Yeah. So they, they need more funding um, to do these things. But actually I wanted to go back to what you were talking about with California because a lot of people are like, uh, those California labels are on everything. Yes, there are a lot of consumer product categories where it's like you feel like you can't avoid it. I just bought a, like a, I bought a wood chipper for compost, and it was yep. like I took it out of the box, smelled like shit. Yeah, <laughs> and it had the California label on it, and I was like, whatever, I'm keeping it outside. I'm not going to return this and try to find another one. Yeah, but with fashion, respect the labels. Yeah, because fashion brands do not want to put that label on there, and. If, if like, for example, like if you go to the Shein website, um, it'll, there'll be a little pop-up saying like in the state of California, you know, this has this, this and that known to be toxic in these ways, respect that label because yeah. it is very easy to find clothing that does not come with that label. Super easy. If you live in California and you try to buy something and the company says, we can't ship it to you in California, you dodged a bullet. So those like, yeah, totally. You're not going to like, like, there's all these things that you can't, that always come with labels for sure. But clothing is not one of them. So I, I really actually, when I see that label on clothing, I'm like, okay, good. I'm not buying this. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I don't even know if I've ever really noticed it on clothing, but I'm going to keep my eye out. Yeah. The, really the, the main thing that I can remember is yeah. Some of this, the non, um, yeah, the non like BPA, it was more like about light bulbs or whatever, you know, something is like mm -hmm. not necessarily mm -hmm. green or whatever, but you know, you're, the, you do see it a lot in furniture. I've noticed like if you get furniture and you have to like put it together, there's often little labels on there as well. Um, so of course, like we're not just talking about clothing, we're talking about all sorts of things. Um, so again, like we said, listeners, just being mindful of paying attention to labels when you see them, being mindful of what you're bringing in. Um, and then, you know, some other sort of less obvious tips that we had for you. I mean, one was don't heat up plastic in the microwave. Please don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> I can't tell you no. how many people I've stopped doing that though. Like, and I've oh, seen I them don't in even my kitchen. Have, I, I tell people like, don't, don't even get a microwave. It is too tempting. I, we haven't had a microwave for many, many years. And then we, we now have one in our cabin in Vermont and like, I have to stop myself or other people from just like just putting something in there in plastic 
because it's it's so easy to do and like honestly just heat things up on your stovetop yeah sure. exactly 100%. exactly or use glass containers i mean just you know if yeah. you have to put it in the microwave or you just put it on a plate um and then another one that we had was you know there are some retailers who seem to be a little bit more you know cognizant of this like trader joe's are you familiar with that i am not i'm not a food person so okay. i actually don't know anything about this particular topic. Yeah, well, so so we found this when we were doing some research. Um, there's a resource called Endocrine Society, and they're saying that Trader Joe's, for instance, will list a yes or no status for certain endocrine disruptors for their products. Um, and you can find that information online, or you can go up and ask the manager, which is kind of interesting. So, Oh, that's so um, interesting. Mm-hmm, I mean, so I have to the, try main, the main way you could do it is just trying to avoid plastic and the best way to avoid plastic packaging for food is to cook your food from yes. full fresh ingredients like you know just like instead of getting packaged vegetables just get fresh vegetables yeah um, well in Trader Joe's like everything's in plastic so I'm curious about that but that's what that's right. what they so, said like, is yeah. it better to go to the place where everything's packaged in plastic but they list I mean, it sounds complicated to me. Like, it why does. not just get fresh vegetables instead? It, it certainly does sound like that. But listeners, we'll include a link to that tidbit in the show notes so you can take a look for yourself. But, um, you know, I, I do think, I mean, first of all, there are organizations like Endocrine Society out there that are trying to come up with, like, even more specific actionable items for you. Um, but again, I mean, you know, just the, the main takeaway, listeners, I'd say is just, you know, this is a, pre- a very, very systemic and prevalent problem that is just part of almost every part of our lives. And we can't drive ourselves crazy, try and avoid every single one. But if we're cognizant of, you know, some common ones and ways that we can potentially avoid them, such as don't heat up plastic in the microwave, right? Mm-hmm. Like, if it, like, then we can make a difference, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, so there's another thing I would add is, um, and this is what I told my friend, I was like, there's apps out there I don't use them anymore because I settled into the clean products that I like using best, but you, you can, there's apps where you can scan all of your products and it will bring up information on whether it contains endocrine disruptors. And so you could go through your bathroom and, and throw out products that have those endocrine disruptors. And then there are, there are stores that are online that only sell clean products as well. So you can you can do that. That's a really good way to reduce your exposure. But you know, this is a this this is you know it's a slow everyday process. That like you, you could do it all at once if you're the kind of person who likes fresh starts. Um, but it's just gonna take a while to get into the swing of having the kind of lifestyle that reduces your endocrine dis- your exposure to endocrine disruptors. And what I mean by that is, and and it's going to have other knock-on health effects, right? So if you're starting to get into the habit of, you know, instead of getting microwave meals, like frozen meals of like, you know, learning how to do a one sheet pan roasted vegetable, you know, and whatever in the oven, like you're going to be eating healthier and reducing your exposure to endocrine disruptors. But like, again, that's a lifestyle change, which I 100% recommend, but just don't, I don't think the answer is to like buy this instead of that. It's, it's starting to um, change your habits little by little to, um, 
and changing your wardrobe little by little, right? Don't throw out your entire wardrobe um, unless you're having reactions right now to clothing. But just think of in the future about like next time you need to buy a sports bra, consider getting one that's 97% cotton or merino wool or something like that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Alden, it's been such a pleasure. Um, I know that we're going to do more of these where we talk about more sort of things lurking um, really in the fashion mm-hmm. industry in general. But um, listeners, as always, you can find links to EcoCult and you know the different uh, sources that we put in the show notes. Um, but thank you so much for, for joining me, Alden. Thank you so much, Laura. This has been great as usual. joining us on another episode of Good Together. To get show notes and more, head to brightly.eco slash podcast. Finally, don't forget to join in on the conversation with us on social media. You'll find us on almost everything at brightly.eco. Don't forget, we're all on this journey together, so have fun putting the planet first and stay curious.